All right, how are we all doing this morning? My name is Tyler, and I am the director of student ministry. So real quick, I just want to give a shout out to our student section. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited that uh, you are all joining us in here this morning, and I just love being uh, your student pastor. It's been so much fun. So I'm excited this morning to be continuing our series, Life According to Jim. But I'm also excited because I get to stand here and do something that I love, which is study scripture and then share it. The insights for with all. So we've been in the book of James pretty much all summer. And to be honest, I love the book of James. Because the book of James to me provides insight on how our faith in Jesus changes the way we view things. Another reason I love the book of James is, is really what Francis Chan had to say about James. The book of James speaks to the realities of living faith in Jesus. The kind of roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty discipleship that is born out of an authentic relationship with the risen Lord. James writes to believers who know suffering, who faced trials, and who ultimately desire a deep relationship with God. I said I love the book of James. I'm really excited this morning as we are still in life according to Jim. And we're going to just run right into chapter 5. As James wraps up his letter to the 12 tribes. We're looking at James 5. Let's look at that together. Come now you rich. We're going to pause right there. James said come now you rich. And that's not me. Some of you just said that, just did that. I said the words, come now, you rich, and you like, like a big sigh, like laid back. We're like, this isn't about me today. We're good. I don't need to listen. I'm not rich. Well, did you know that if you make 25000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's income earners? Or if you make 50000 a year, you're in the top 1%. To me, those are crazy stats. And if that's not enough to get you to pay attention this morning, how about this? Each and every one of us is rich compared to someone else. All of us are rich compared to someone else. All right, now let's, just, let's get back to James. Come now. You rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. There's a lot that just happened in these first six verses. And honestly, none of them seem very fun. Just... 
I mean, James starts out by saying, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. I'm not sure about all of you guys, but it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. These first six verses have a lot to deal with money and riches. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. James goes back to that in this passage. Jesus said the warning, don't lay up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. James said, well, you did that. And this is what happened. Jesus said the warning. James said, you did that. You laid up your treasures on earth. Because you've done that, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. There was one thing that I can tell from reading the book of James. It's that he really cared about the issues that money and wealth can cause in a follower of Jesus' life. I mean, James 1, it talks about how the rich man, the riches will disappear. In chapter 2, it talks about favoring a rich man over the poor. In chapter 4, it talks about going to make a profit and boasting in that. James really cared about the issues that that can cause. But I love what Matt Chandler had to say about James when it comes to James talking about wealth. Matt Chandler said this, notice that James was specific in his condemnation. He didn't make a blanket statement against rich people. He warned his readers throughout the letter about the selfish desire for riches. James in chapter five here is giving us some, some warnings about wealth. In verse three, he says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. In other words, you have stored up treasures on earth in hopes to find security in them. But I hate to be the one to share bad news, but they won't last. The things of this world, they won't last. The money, the nice clothes, the nice cars, they won't last. And Jesus told a pretty good parable about this in the gospel of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward 
God. Let's leave verses 19 and 20 up there. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? All the things of this world, they will rust. They won't last. When it's your time and God calls you home, everything stays here. And will not last. The first six verses really talk about the destruction of saving things. uh, Money, riches, fine garments. They are all all old and not usable. And they don't benefit you anymore if they are old and worn. If you don't use your treasures that God has given you, then what is the purpose of them? James talks about the rich needing to pay their workers so they could go home and have food for their families because the rich were laying up their treasures and they didn't pay their workers They robbed them. They robbed the workers of true wealth. They robbed the workers of family time at home, of being able to support their families. The rich people's selfishness, their self-indulgence resulted in hurting of others and their families. Whenever you've been so about yourself with self-indulgence a little too much, Have you ever thought about how it could hurt the people around you? What could it do to you? What could it do to your heart? Our money, our assets, everything of this world will not last. So why not use it to help others, to be generous, to help further the kingdom of God? James then switches directions a bit as he continues in chapter 5. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I think... The very, two, the very first two words of this passage, this, this section, summarizes the whole thing. Be patient. Be patient. James uses the example of a farmer and how a farmer patiently waits for their crop. The farmer doesn't give up when the, when the crop doesn't come to harvest immediately. He keeps on working, even when the crop can't be seen at all. Even so, Christians must work hard even when the crop can't be seen at all. 
must work hard and exercise patient endurance even when the harvest day seems really far away. There are a couple of different ways or reasons that I think this passage gives us to be patient. Let's take another look at verse eight. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. The Lord is coming. Be patient. The Lord is coming. There will be a day when Jesus comes back and he will wipe every tear. So be patient. The Lord is coming. Be patient when life is rough and you feel like nothing is going your way. Be patient. God is still at work in the midst of suffering. Be patient. The Lord is coming and he will wipe away every tear. Be patient. The Lord is coming. Verse nine says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Be patient with others. Be patient with others. Everyone is going through something that you may have no idea about. So be patient with others. When you're working on something with someone and you see that their work isn't done or you're wondering why they're acting like that, be patient. Because you don't know what's going on in their lives. Do not grumble against one another because you may not know what they are going through. So be patient with others. Verses 10 and 11, but I want to look at what the message translation has to say about this. Take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything and never once quit, all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares. Cares right down to the last detail. I love this. I love this. James, so he says, hey, remember Job. You remember Job. Remember what happened to him. And for those of you that don't know what happened to Job, I need a quick reminder. This is like my uh, overview or a quick little uh, summary of Job. So Satan you know, comes to God and, and God's like, look at, look at my man Job down there. Look at him praising me and blessing me and being faithful. Look at Job. And Satan goes, God, he is only praising you and worshiping you Because you have blessed him so much. If you take everything away from him, he surely will curse you. And God, you know, wanted a little challenge, accepted. So he he said, you know what, Satan, here's what you can do. Everything that Job has in his possession, all of it, is in your control. But you can't lay a finger on Job himself. Satan was like, deal. And this is what Satan did. Satan took everything. He took his livestock, his crops, his wealth, all of his kids. He took everything from him. 
But this is how Job, this is how Job responded. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. Job lost everything. His family. He lost his wealth. Even later, he lost his health. But Job was was patient. Because Job knew the promises of God. I mean, to be patient because God's promises are true. After all of that, Job stayed patient because he knew God's promises were true. And this is how the life of Job ended. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter named Jemiah, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuch. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. I want faith like Job. I want to be like Job. Job lost everything, and he just praised God. Because he knew God's promises were true. In the midst of Job's suffering, he knew God's promises were true. So be patient. God's promises are true. God will come through. He will protect you. He always hears you. He will give you peace. He will wipe away every tear. He is always with you. He will never leave you. He knows what's best for you. And Job knew that. And he believed it. He stayed patient because he knew that God's promises were true. So be patient. God's promises are true. There's one more reason to be patient. Be patient. God is accomplishing something through you. Be patient. God is accomplishing something through you. When I think about being patient and suffering and that God is accomplishing something through me, I think of a couple verses of scripture. The main one I tend to think about is Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When I first started in youth ministry, We were doing a study on Romans and I came across Romans 8.18. For I consider the present sufferings compared nothing to the joy about to be revealed to us. And I was like, ooh, that is powerful. And I was like, man, I started thinking about it. Everything in this world, all the hurt, all the suffering, everything that's going on in this world is nothing compared to the joy 
or the glory that's going to be revealed to us in heaven. At LCU, I played baseball. And during my first semester there, I needed a new glove. So I got one custom made. And that was the same time I was starting in youth ministry. I was like, you know what? I'm going to add stitching on the side. And I'm going to put Romans 8, 18. Right here on my glove. Fast forward a little bit. The glove came in and I played baseball freshman year. And baseball was fantastic. But school wasn't. I actually failed two classes and wasn't eligible for the whole next school year. So what that meant was for the whole school year, all I could do was practice. I couldn't play in a game. I just showed up to practice every day, showed up to all the workouts, but I could not play in a single game. And during that year, I got a phone call from my mom. Hey, your stepdad has lung cancer. And that rocked me. It's a hard time for my family. But there was one day in particular, I was just mad. I was super mad. I didn't understand why any of this was happening, why it was happening to my stepdad, why my mom was going through this, why my brother was going through this, why I was going through this. I didn't get it. I was at practice one day. I was playing third base. And I was getting ready to take a ground ball, take an infield. And I just happened to look down and staring right back at me was Romans 8, 18. I consider the present sufferings nothing compared to the joy that's about to be revealed to us. That moment, right there at third base on the Cambridge League and Christian University, I was reminded. I was reminded that, hey, it may not seem like God is working. There's a lot of pain and suffering right now, but be patient because there is joy that's coming. There is glory that's coming. Be patient. Fast forward another year. My stepdad beats lung cancer. And I'm back and I'm playing baseball. And we're going to Florida for a spring break trip for the baseball team. And COVID happens. And we get sent home. I get another phone call from my mom. Hey, we're rushing Leo to the hospital. Don't know what's wrong. Something's not right. The cancer spread to his brain. The next couple of months were ugly. They were just ugly. They were ugly for him. They were ugly for my mom. They were ugly for me, my brother, ugly for his kids. It was just an ugly time. One day, I was going up to see them. They lived about an hour from me. I was going to go see my mom and my stepdad. And I was just discouraged. But there was one thing that me and my stepdad liked to do. And it was play catch. I played baseball my whole life, playing catch. Is like the one thing to clear my mind. Just go out and throw a ball around. I love to do that. So I thought maybe if he was feeling up up for it, because there were days where he couldn't do anything. Maybe if he was feeling up for it, we could play catch. So I went to, to find my glove 
and it's sitting on my dresser like this with Romans 8, 18 staring back at me in that moment I was reminded I consider the present sufferings nothing compared to the joy that's about to be revealed to us Again, I was reminded, be patient. Be patient for there is joy coming. There is glory coming. Be patient. But the glory that was revealed this time was different. The joy that was revealed was different. He ended up passing from brain cancer. But the sufferings that were present were turned into joy in the sense of he wasn't hurting anymore. He wasn't suffering anymore. So in the midst of suffering, be patient. God is still working and he's still making a way. Be patient. God is working and accomplishing something in you. For me in that story of being patient, this is what God accomplished in me. He gave me the ability to stand and to share and to talk to people who are losing someone right now or have lost someone. He gave me that ability. That's what he accomplished in me during this time. So be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. When life is nothing but pain and suffering and all you can see is darkness around you, be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient. God is still working. When life is just a mess, when life is a mess and you don't see any way of it getting better, be patient. God is accomplishing something and he's going to turn that mess that you have. He's going to turn that mess and he's going to make it a message that leads people to his kingdom. He's going to take that mess. He's going to turn it into a message. So be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. This is what I want to leave you with this morning. What are you going to find your security in? Where does your hope lie? Because good things take time. A farmer doesn't go and take the ear of corn right off the stalk as soon as he sees it. He waits till it's the perfect time. Just like the farmers wait for a good crop, we don't need to rush what God is doing. Be patient. We still have to put in the work and the waiting season. We still have to put in the work because we live in a world that's all about itself. We can fall in that trap 
of having everything be about ourselves. And if we wait and we hold back the gifts that God has given us, if we lay our treasures up until the last day, there is no use for them anymore. Your treasures don't evolve like the rest of the world does. So what would it look like to share your life with someone else while they're suffering? What would it look like for you to share your treasure with those around you? Maybe this causes a change in your attitude. Or maybe it causes a change in your gratitude. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, then I hope you know that your treasures are not here, but they are in heaven. And that's the goal we're working towards. You can't take things of this earth with you. But Jesus can take that with you. Jesus breaks both barriers. So let's find ourselves in Jesus. When we find ourselves in ourselves, no good can come from that. Let's find ourselves in Jesus. Maybe some of you are here this morning. And you're just in a season of suffering. And this morning I listed some of the promises of God. He will protect you. He always hears you. He will give you peace. He will wipe away every tear. He is always with you. He will never leave you. He knows what's best for you. And you've heard all that and you want that. You want those promises and you've never made that decision to allow Christ into your life and to accept him as your savior. My question to you is this, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Some of you may just not know what that looks like. So I invite you to talk to our friends at the Next Steps table and see what those next steps for you are. Others of you, you know what that next step is. You know what that next step is and you understand baptism. And you are ready to take that next step. But there's a problem. You are ready, but you keep telling yourself that you are way too broken to be baptized. You're telling yourself that I got to fix me first before I can do that. I have to fix my life before I can be baptized and before I can do all of that. I want to share this thing with you right now. Baptism is not the end of the line. Baptism is not the, I fixed my life. I can do this now. That's not what baptism is. Baptism is the beginning. Baptism is the beginning and it's you saying, I know that I am broken and I know that I cannot fix myself on my own. I can't fix my own brokenness and I need God's help. That is what baptism is. It's the beginning. It's the start. Saying, I need God's help. If that's you, what are you waiting for? 
Come talk to us today. We have water. We have a change of clothes. We want nothing to stop you from making that decision today. There's going to be some staff over here for you to come talk to. Why wait? What are you waiting for? Come talk to us today. What are you waiting for? Would you pray with me? God, you are so, 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 so good. God, help us. God, when we feel like life is just never going to get any better and we're in a season of suffering, help us remember that you are still working in us and you are not finished with us yet, that you will never leave us, that you have what's best for us in mind and you are working. You're going to turn our mess into a message. Help us remember that. Help us remember to be patient and suffering. God, we thank you so, so, so much for Jesus and his blood that gives us this gift of grace and salvation. God, we cannot thank you enough for that. We love you so much. And we know that you love us. So we pray, amen.